Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Sitting down here on the front row reminds me of a story. Um, Kip didn't mention this. I'm not, I'm not only a preacher, but I'm a preacher's son. I don't know which of those is worse. But growing up, I was enamored by my dad, especially when he was doing the thing that I loved to see him do the most, which was preaching. And so when I was little, sometimes if my behavior was good, my mom would let me sit by my dad on the front row of church. And she was back wrangling my sister in some other part of the church. Well, that was all good and well during the singing and the praying when my dad was sitting next to me. But during the preaching, it presented a problem. Because now there's this little boy, let's say six years old, alone and unattended in the front of the church where everybody can see him, but his dad can't quite reach him. And uh, I've always been keenly aware of when a sermon has gone too long. Can I get an amen? Any amens in here? And I, I suppose it was one of those days where my dad had just crossed that threshold and I decided I needed to take matters into my own six-year-old hands. So my mom had supplied me with a coloring book, and I turned to the last page, which was blank, and I wrote in dark blue crayon, as, as, as big as I could, how much longer? <laughs> and then I held it up. <laughs> My dad didn't acknowledge me, so I, I stood on the front pew of the church, and I turned the sign to the audience <laughs> to gain support for my cause, right? That was the last time I sat on the front row until this morning. <laughs> last time. Hope I don't see any of those signs today, but if, if I do, I'll know it's time to get down. I'll know it's time to get down. Hey, it's, it's a real joy to be with y'all. We, can, we consider Sycamore View one of our partner churches and the good work of the Lord here in Memphis, Tennessee. We are uh, practical partners in organizations like Hope Works. I'm thankful for your support for Hope Works. But we're also partners in this, the kingdom of God in Memphis. And so... I'm thankful to be here with you. This church is doing tremendous work, and it's just a joy to be with you this morning. If you've got your Bible and you want to open it up, or if you've got your device and you want to go to Mark 1, starting in verse 40, that's where we're going to be this morning. Josh, I know, is doing a series out of Mark, and he asked me to pick up here in Mark 1, 40. And what Mark raises is this, this question, I'll ask it to you like this. Since it rhymes, it's a good question. This is the question. Is it good or bad to be mad? Is it good or bad to be mad? I was trying to think about an example of when our anger, the anger that we all feel inside, like if you were going to draw a caricature of, of the anger that we sometimes feel in our heart, what would it look like? And I think I found a good example. Let's see if we can play this video. And where down we go coaching box. He throws his helmet and he's been thrown out of the game. Whoa, you let your fires. Pulls out his jersey. He's been known for this over the years. To be very demonstrative when ejected from a ball game. Yeah, put on quite a show. Now he picks up the bag and kicks it. He kicks the second base bag and now he kicks his helmet. Oh, Never a dull moment at the ballpark. And where 
had to had to use those clips because we didn't have any footage of Josh at his boys' baseball game, so we had to use those right there. Yeah, don't we all feel like that sometimes on the inside? I mean, you know, it comes out in those baseball managers on the field. I don't know why it's okay on the baseball field, but nowhere else. But we've all felt that way, right? All right, so as you watch that, those videos, tell me this. Is it good or bad to be mad? Is it good or bad to be angry? Well, it's bad, right? Anger's bad. That's what the Bible says. I mean, if you look at James 1.20, for example, it says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I can't think of my anger producing anything good, right? In my 31 years of watching baseball, I can't even think of an umpire who once changed his call because of how mad the coach has got, right? Our anger doesn't even produce, produce that. Maybe that's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. He says, get rid of it all. Not some of it, not the worst of it, like we saw in this video, all of it. Get rid of it all. Anger's bad, case closed. Except that God gets angry. About 170 times in the Old Testament, God is angry. What we, what we typically read is the wrath of God, is how that's translated, the wrath of God. If you read through your Bible in a year, anybody ever done that? Read through your Bible in a year. What you'll notice is that God is mad a lot in the Old Testament, right? He's mad a lot. You know, the, the Hebrew word we translate mad or anger actually means to snort, to snort. And the idea is that your nose isn't for smelling, it's for getting mad, Right? And we, we can all confirm this. I, I can remember when my older sister would beat me up growing up. And that's not what I want you to remember about this sermon, but that did happen. I can remember her on top of me pummeling me, and her nostrils would just be going crazy. Right? You remember that? We called it her mean face. I got a lovely sister, but if you meet her, watch out for her nose. Okay, watch out for it. Yeah, we all know when we get mad, we see it in our nose first. That's what it means to snort. God gets angry, and Jesus gets angry. Now, when I say that, what scene comes to mind for you? Yeah, the temple, the cleansing of the temple. Yeah. So what we have is that shows up in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus comes into the temple, temple of the Lord. What's probably happening is that some people have set up a marketplace, as we read about. But the reason they set up this marketplace in the temple is that they're selling the things that the people who have traveled from a long way to make this journey to the temple, what those people need to enter the temple, namely a sacrifice. Right? And so if you're thinking about making a long journey on foot, and you can either make that journey with your goat or buy a goat when you get there, it's a lot easier to buy one when you get there right? Except that now they can charge whatever they want. That's probably what's happening. It's an injustice. These people are taking advantage of these people who just want to get close to God. And so Jesus comes into the temple, and what does he do? He starts turning over the tables in the marketplace. He drives everybody out with the whip. He sure seems angry, except that in all four of those accounts of that story, it never once mentions that Jesus was mad. Never once. Never once. Now, that story's important for a lot of us. One author, Garrett Kaiser, he said that I am unable to commit to any Messiah who doesn't knock over some tables. And the point is, we want a Christ, we want a Messiah who cares about what's going on in the world, who gets worked up, right, who does something about it. We want a Messiah who cares, except that we never read that Jesus was actually angry in those stories, now, what he does makes the religious people who are there, it makes them angry. And we read about that. You can just see their nostrils going crazy when Jesus does that. 
But Jesus actually isn't mad there. We read about Jesus being mad one and a half times. One and a half times. So first, let me show you the half. It's in Mark 140. So if you've got your Bible, like I said, go there. It's also going to be on the screen behind me. What's going on in Mark 40 is we've got this man who has leprosy. It is a skin disease, and it really plagues him in two ways. First of all, it's really painful. Leprosy is, is brutally painful, okay? But secondly, it is a social sickness, which means he's got to stay outside of town, right? He, so he's, in addition to being in pain, he's lonely. And so he comes to Jesus in the hope that Jesus can make him better. Let's look at this in Mark 140. <clears throat> Mark 140. I've got a new baby at home. This just sounds like home. So I hope you're okay. Don't worry, baby. It's fine. It's fine. All right. This just sounds like home. All right. Mark 140. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, talking to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, we're going to leave that blank right there. We're going to come back to that. He reached out his hand, Jesus, and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once, and with a strong warning, see that you don't tell this to anybody. But go, show yourself to the priest, offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And instead, he went out, began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town, but openly stayed outside in lonely places. It's fascinating that the story starts with the man with leprosy who's lonely, and it ends with Jesus who's lonely. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So this is a passage that raises some really important questions. All right. One, um, why didn't the guy do what Jesus told him? Which leads to this obvious second question, why don't we do what Jesus tells us? Right? Which are all good questions, but what I want to do is focus on verse 41. So if you could go back a slide where we've got that blank, let's focus on verse 41. So if you're looking in your Bible, right, you're probably reading a couple different versions out there. I don't know which I'll use most often here at Sycamore View, but uh, let's take a couple stabs. If you're reading out of the ESV or the NRSV, when this man comes to Jesus and asks to be healed, it says that Jesus had pity on the man. Jesus had pity on the man. If you're reading the NIV, like a hard copy NIV that's, that was printed in the 1980s, that version, right? What it says is that Jesus has compassion on the man. Is that what your version says? All right. If you're reading on your device or if you've got a new NIV, it says that Jesus was indignant. He was indignant when this man asked to be healed. He was mad. If you're reading from the, the common English Bible, the CEB, it says he was incensed. He was incensed. Those are really different, right? Which is it? You know, it, it turns out it's a, it's a bit of a textual question mark. We actually don't know which word's best. You know, the way the Bible works is that on most texts, we've got overwhelming confirmation from a variety of sources of which word is best. But as it happens in this particular case, we've got some ancient sources that say he was really mad and some ancient ones that say he was full of compassion, full of compassion, right? And those seem really different to us. Is he mad or is he full of compassion? Well, let's, uh, let's pretend to be Bible scholars this morning. And we'll just count this one right now as the half time that Jesus has mentioned as being mad, but we're going to try to figure out which word is the best translation, all right? 
So to do that, we're going to look at the other time where Jesus was mad for sure. And that's in Mark 3. So if you've got your Bible and you want to flip over to Mark 3, you can. Just two chapters away. The very beginning, the first verse of Mark 3, it'll also be on the slide behind. Again, a man approaches Jesus. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus asked him, well, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and they began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. All right, what's going on here in this passage? Well, the Pharisees, the religious people of the time, who read their Bibles, try to follow it really closely, they know that if Jesus works on the Sabbath, if he heals this guy on the Sabbath, then they have every right to kill him. They're already envious of Jesus, they're threatened by Jesus, and they're probably mad at Jesus. We can imagine their nostrils going crazy here. They're probably mad at Jesus. And so by the end of this story, what they believe they have is the evidence they need to kill Jesus. It's going to take a while for that to come to fruition, but this is what starts it rolling, right? They believe they have that evidence. What I want you to think about in this story is the difference between like a garden hoe and a bulldozer. So if you were going to go and you were going to relocate a, a little flower in your garden, you'd get one of those little spades, little shovels, and you would, you would, you would dig around that flower, you would pick it up and, and relocate it. It's a pretty precise job. But if you were in a bulldozer, right, you, can, you could go out to some woods around here, around the Wolf River, and you could just plow through, knocking over trees and stuff like that, right? It's not an instrument of precision. I want you to think about that, the difference between those two as it relates to this text. Because you've got this man with this shriveled hand who comes approaching Jesus wanting to be healed, and it happens to be the Sabbath day. Truth is, he's had a shriveled hand for a long time. He doesn't care what day it is if he can get his hand fixed, right? So he comes to Jesus as it happens on the Sabbath day, and these guys aren't watching him, they're watching Jesus. They're not threatened by this guy with the shriveled hand, they're threatened by Jesus, and they want to plow over Jesus. The problem is religious machinery is rarely precise, just like the powers that be in our world. You know, when the powers that be in our world are angry, when they want something, they're going to roll over everybody else in their path to try to get that thing. And that's what's happening here. You know, that's what Jesus is mad about. He is not mad that these people are coming for him. What he's mad about is that they're going to roll over this innocent man in the process, this man who just wants to be healed. That's what Jesus is mad about. And Jesus reads his Bible too. You know, Jesus knows that he shouldn't heal on the Sabbath day, except for one thing, that the Sabbath day was made for human relief. That's the purpose of Sabbath rest, our relief. And what he can provide this man, like no one else has ever been able to provide this man in his whole life, is relief from his condition. Right? And so in his mind, he is fulfilling the Sabbath day by providing this man what he most needs 
on the Sabbath, which is relief, right? And so he gets mad because these guys want to roll over this man when he could provide him what he most needs. All right. So is anger good or bad? This, the question seems a little bit differently now. Thomas Aquinas, looking at this passage, said, sometimes it is a sin not to get angry. Not to get angry. What do you think about that? You know, anger and compassion, and if you look at these two stories side by side, where a man comes to Jesus to be healed, and Jesus is either angry or compassionate, you read the two stories and they have the same ending. You know, Jesus heals the man. It almost makes the question of which word is the better word in Mark 1 seem like a silly question. Because when Jesus gets mad, it looks like when Jesus gets compassionate. It looks the exact same. looks the same. There's this famous list, though. It's called the seven deadly sins. Have you heard of the seven deadly sins before? You've probably heard of that. It's best to picture the seven deadly sins like a tree. You'll see that behind me here in just a moment. The seven deadly sins are best pictured like a tree. This list dates back really far in the history of the church, and it's based on several lists that we have in the New Testament that list sins that Christians should avoid, that Christians should pray for God to root out of their hearts. Right? And it's, a, it's, it's the, those various lists in the New Testament condensed down. Okay? And it's this list of seven. You can kind of see those sins if you look closely g- g- growing off the, the trunk of this tree. You've got vainglory, gluttony, avarice, envy. There's anger, sloth, and lust. Right? And the reason that everybody puts anger on this tree is because we have so many occurrences, like I began this sermon with, of, of instructions to God's people to avoid anger. So that's why it is on this this list of the seven deadly sins. That's why it's growing on this tree. But really the reason that it's on the tree is that anger tends to originate from the trunk of the tree, which we would call pride. C.S. Lewis called pride the great sin. And the idea with the seven deadly sins is that they're all connected to pride in some way. How does that work with anger? Well, typically the reason that we get angry the origin of our anger is a, is a sense of injustice. Something's wrong. It should be made right, right? And so we get angry about it. That's why Jesus is angry in Mark 3, definitely. That's probably why Jesus is angry in Mark 1. He senses some injustice, some person who is dealing with something they shouldn't have to, and he gets mad about it. We'll come back to that. I think more often for us, the, the injustice that makes us angry is not actually an injustice that somebody else is experiencing, but an injustice that we believe that we are experiencing, right? It's not just that something's not fair, it's that something's not fair to me, right? And everything should be fair for me because I'm me, right? So what we're describing there is, is pride, my four-year-old and two-year-old can tell you a little bit about this. You know, they, they, they count out the gummy bears we give them and make sure it's the same. You know, they, they have this, this sense of cosmic justice that they deserve fairness all the time. And so that's why anger is on this tree of the seven deadly sins, because what makes us angry most often is not something unfair, some injustice in the world, but something that we perceive to be unfair to us. Somebody has grabbed hold of our pride and twisted on it, and we lash out in anger. 
uh, I, I was following really closely, my family and I, the story of those boys in Thailand trapped in the cave. Anybody else follow this story really closely? You had this soccer team of young boys trapped deep in this cave that was flooded. They were there for two weeks before they were rescued. A fascinating story. One of the, the stories on the periphery of that amazing rescue was of the American billionaire Elon Musk. Did you see this? Elon Musk is the founder of Tesla and SpaceX. He's a, a genius by all accounts. He's trying to be the first person to send humans to Mars. So I, I'm kind of interested in that. Not going, but I think it's cool, you know. And so uh, he, he sends out a, a tweet, a message online in the middle of this rescue. And he says... I have a one-man submarine that I will send to Thailand and the rescuers can use to ferry those boys out one at a time. And so me, you know, I'm sitting in my dry home in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm not deep in a dark, wet cave in Thailand, but I'm thinking, this is a great idea. Let's go with Elon. One of the four British cave divers who ends up rescuing those boys, though, he responds to Elon and he says, that won't work here. Elon fires back with a video of the submarine working under, underwater in a swimming pool, which has chlorine in it and is very different than a cave in Thailand, right? And the guy fires back and he says, this is just a publicity stunt. This isn't going to work. And Elon Musk, to his millions of followers on Twitter, calls the guy something awful I can't repeat in here, right? Something awful. I'm not going to say. And overnight, Tesla's stock goes down 4%. And so the next day, he gets on Twitter, and he says, I'm sorry. He says, I spoke in anger. Well, Elon, I have to. We've all spoken in anger. And the truth is, it absolutely was a publicity stunt. We're all doing PR all the time. You know, we all want to be viewed as important, as necessary, as needed, right? We want everybody to think that we are mission critical, all the time, right? And when somebody points that out, when somebody grabs hold of Elon's pride and just kind of yanks at it, his immediate response is to lash out in anger. I've done it too. I've done it too. But something feels different about Elon Musk and his anger and Jesus and his anger, right? Don't those just feel different as you look at Mark 1 and Mark 3? You know when I get most angry? Uh, is when I have to go car shopping. Uh, my wife and I had this third kid recently. He's great, but we had to buy a minivan. So I've arrived. I'm driving a minivan, what I've always wanted. You know, the truth is, truth is, I don't know why you're not all driving minivans. They are amazing. Sliding doors, it's the future. I'm telling you. All right. So we go on the car lot to buy this, this minivan, and uh, from the moment I walk on the car lot, I'm mad. You know, I'm just convinced they're trying to take advantage of me. None of you are like this, I know, but I'm just convinced. They're trying to take advantage of me. They're going to sell me a lemon, right? And so we get into the room to do the, uh, sign the papers and stuff, and I say, you know, I've, my dad has taught me really well. I'm ready to play hardball. I say, you know, I know you've got the, the van listed for this price. I'm willing to pay this price. Let's make a deal. And they say, oh, no, no, no. Uh, we actually don't negotiate here. <laughs> nice one. And they said, no, no, no. It's, uh, it's actually company policy. We can't negotiate here. To be competitive today, we've got to put our lowest price online. We don't, we don't negotiate. And I say, okay, all right. Well, you can give me more for my trade-in. And I wish y'all could have seen my trade-in. 
the paint was peeling off the whole side of the car. The passenger window never worked. It started intermittently. Probably like two out of three times it would start when I turned the key, right? And he looks out the window at my car. We both look at it together. And this was his exact quote. He looks at it and he says, you want more for that? <laughs> I said, yeah, I want more. And he said, I'll give you 75 bucks more. <laughs> I said, deal. <laughs> and I walked out to my wife, Lindsay, and I said, baby, I really worked him over in there. I, you know, I like put it to him. Yeah, I'm so mad when I'm in there, right, buying a car. Okay, I've been processing what the Bible says about anger for a while now. I've been working on, on this. And uh, Rebecca DeYoung, she wrote this, this great book called Glittering Vices. Josh may have mentioned it before. It's a great book. It's about the seven deadly sins. And she's got this chapter on anger. And the, cha- the title of her chapter on anger is Anger, Holy Emotion or Hellish Passion. Holy emotion or hellish passion? I think that's a great question, and I've been trying to figure out which one it is, holy or hellish. So I took it to my Bible class a few weeks ago to process through it with them, and I asked them that question. And one of the guys in my class said this, and I thought it was pretty profound. He said, Eric, he said, most of the time we don't get angry about stuff that matters. You know, we get angry about silly stuff. We're personally offended, and we just need to get over it. He says, that seems like a bad reason to be mad. He says, but sometimes we do get angry about the right kind of stuff. You know, injustice in this, in this city, injustice in the world, injustice in the lives of our friend. We get, we get mad about those things, and it seems right to be mad about those things, but all we do about it is post on Facebook and nothing else. And he said, that seems like just as bad, right? That seems just as bad. And I think he's on to something. So what I want to do with you as we're heading towards the conclusion here is I want to do, um, I want to do New Testament ethics with you. That's what we call it back in school. Basically, we look at the New Testament and we try to decide how Christians should behave based on what we read there. Okay, what I started with are these two strong encouragements or requirements that Christians avoid anger, that we pray to God to eliminate that from our hearts so we get rid of all of it, right? except that Jesus gets angry at least one and a half times. So let's look at these stories where Jesus gets angry and ask, is it possible that you could have righteous indignation? You've heard that term before, right? Righteous indignation. Is that even a thing? Is that even a thing? All right, let's look at these passages here again in Mark 1 and Mark 3, and you can flip back and forth if you want to. But let's think about this. Jesus interacts with a lot of people in the New Testament. Good people, bad people, he interacts with a lot of people in the New Testament. And he only gets mad one and a half times. Okay, so the, so the first, you know, condition of righteous indignation would be it's rare. You should not be getting mad regularly. You know, I think about the husband I knew, know who, who recently came to light, has been mad at his wife for 20 years and made her life miserable for 20 years. If you're mad regularly, it's not biblical. All right, let's own that to begin with. All right, but secondly, look back at these stories here. The second point or second condition of righteous indignation would be that it is not about you. 
you know, these religious guys in Mark 3 are out to get Jesus, but in the process, they're going to roll over this man with the shriveled hand. That's what Jesus is angry about. That is an injustice that this man is going to experience. He is not mad they're out to get him. He is mad for the sake of this man. And in Mark 1, Jesus is not mad this man asked to be healed. Apparently, he saw great faith in this man. Otherwise, he would not have healed him. I think he's mad at the condition this man's in. He's just mad that this man lives in a world where he suffers like this from this skin condition. I mean, he's mad for the same reason that we're mad when somebody gets cancer or somebody's bullied at school or somebody loses their job. He's mad that this is the sake or this is the condition of the world. He's not mad at this man. He's mad for this man. He's mad for this man. I got a call from a mom at church at Highland last two weeks ago. And um, her daughter goes to a school not far from here, and her daughter had heard some, some really terrible things said about her, really terrible things. And this mom was mad. And she called me up and she said, Eric, I want to do something about this. And, and here's what I'm thinking about doing. I'm going to talk to this person, I'm going to talk to this person, I'm going to talk to this person. But what it boils down to, Eric, is I'm mad and Mama Bear ain't happy. Those were her exact words. Mama Mama Bear ain't happy. I know about Mama Bear. Don't poke her, right? I know about her. And what I appreciate about that is that she is heading in the direction of the right kind of anger, according to these conditions, right? Because it's not about her. It's about her daughter. And what she realized, though, and, I, and I'd add this, is it's possible she's got those mom blinders on, and she's not seeing the situation clearly. And so she wants to process that through with a brother in Christ, before she does something about it, and I really appreciate that. But she's heading in the right direction because she's not mad for herself. She's mad for someone else, like Jesus is in these two passages. But lastly, let me, let me offer maybe one more condition. If you return to these stories in Mark 1 and Mark 3, what makes Jesus' anger righteous is not only his reasoning, okay, but the application of his anger. That is what he, what he does with it. You know, Jesus is mad at these religious people, or he's mad at the state of this world, and he doesn't lash out at those people. He doesn't curse those people. In both stories, what does he do? He heals the man. He just fixes the problem. He just fixes it. That's, that's what he does with his anger. And I think that's what my friend in my Bible class at church was on to. You know, we get mad about nothing. We get mad at the wrong people. But we also we often don't do anything with it good, right? Or what we do with it is, is bad. <laughs> you know, Jesus gets mad for the right reason, okay, and does something good with it. Right? He, he, he fixes the problem. He changes those men's lives. And I don't know if anger is ever truly good. I mean, let's own that we are not Jesus. I don't know if righteous indignation is ever truly possible, but if it does not meet those conditions, I can guarantee it's not. I can guarantee it's not. Okay, what if I gave you a little bit of homework? Gave you a little homework. I don't see anybody taking notes, so this is going to go really well. <laughs> now I feel like I'm back at Highland, right? All right, so what if this week, you uh, on your phone, on maybe like a three by five index card or a little notepad, you just, you just made a list of every time you got mad. Just made a list, just wrote it down. 
At the end of each day, you go back to that list and you write down what you did in response to that anger. So did you sulk? Did you post something online? Did you curse somebody? Did you hit someone? Did you do something good? Did you give to some organization? Did you volunteer your time somewhere? Did you help someone out? What would you do with it? And then at the end of the week, what I'd invite you to do is to get with another brother or sister here at Sycamore View and show them your list and say, I want you to tell me if each of these were righteous or not. Just go down the list, explain the first one, explain what you did did, and say, uh, righteous or not. It's like a game, right? You know, righteous or not. Righteous or not. You know what I bet? If we're honest, if I'm honest, if I, if I do that this week, most of the times I get mad, it is not righteous. It is not righteous. And it is a sin that is still grabbing hold of my heart, which Jesus would like to remove from my life. And he will not remove it unless I offer it to him to remove. And the only way that I can offer it to him to remove if, if I know it's there in the first place and I know it's a problem. Right? I know it's a problem. That's why I want to invite you to do that exercise. You know, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the best test of the righteousness of our anger might be to consider this. You know, if somebody were going to record the stories of my life and if they were to go in and change every story where it had the word anger, and they were to put in the word compassion, or if they were to go to every story in my life that had the word compassion in it, and they were to change it to to anger, if all those stories still ended the same way, that would be a good test. You know, if my anger looked like my compassion, that would be a really good test of whether it's righteous or not. There are things to get mad about. I heard about this church down in Alabama. They learned about the wait list for kids in DCS custody in their county, kids waiting to be placed in foster care and to be adopted. It was, it was you know, like, like it is in Memphis, a long list. So this one church in Alabama just decides, well, that's not right. They got mad about it. And so what they do? Well, over a couple of weeks, nearly every couple in that church young or old, got trained to be foster parents, and they eliminated the list like that. There are things to get bad about in this world, right? Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Praise God. There are things to get mad about. You know, can, can you imagine if Sycamore View, if Highland, if any church in this city could summon a tenth of the anger of Jesus Christ and respond like Christ does to the injustices in our city, can you imagine what we could do? Right? There are things to get mad about. The truth is that we just don't tend to get mad enough about those things. You know, we get mad about stuff in our own life, and when we get mad about stuff in our own life, we tend to get it wrong. But when the body of Christ summons just a bit of the anger of Jesus Christ, and by his power responds in the ways that he responds. I mean, can you imagine what we could do? You know, it may be time to get mad. 